Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. Like Joanna said, my name's Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here, and I'm uh, excited to be with you this morning. Uh, we are in this series where we're taking a look at kind of like what God's done at Seabreeze over the last 30 years. We're doing this because this year we are celebrating 30 years of being a church. And so where we've been in this series so far is we've kind of taken a look at what it, what's the big picture of what, what's God doing through the church. And then we've looked at kind of through our history, how's God's hand been at work guiding us through the years, and then what is, as we kind of start to shift our gaze towards the future, what, what's the mission that we need to stay focused on? And today, we're going to focus on and turn our attention to the part that the individuals play. So you and me, what, what is our role? What's our part in helping the church move forward? Well, at the beginning of this year, um, I did something that probably many of you do. I came up with a few New Year's resolutions. And um, some of them were more significant than others, but one of the New Year's resolutions I came up with is I want to surf more this year. And so um, I'm, it's not just kind of a general vague, like I just want to get in the water more, but I actually have a, a number. I, w- I have a number of times that I want to get in the water this next year, and so I'm keeping track of it. And I even let my wife know, you know, so she can know, like, babe, this is my goal. Remember, like, I want to get in the water this many times. And the reason that I want to do this is surfing for me is it's very, uh, it's just very refreshing. It's a really recharging activity um, for me personally. So I love getting out there. And something that you're probably already aware of when it comes to surfing is surfing is an individual sport. I mean, you might get in the water with your buddies. You know, you might agree to meet up and you might paddle out there together. But when you're in the water with somebody, you know, you're talking. But what, what happens when that wave comes? You leave the conversation, sometimes mid-sentence, and you go and you catch that wave. I mean, really, when you think about it, surfing, at the end of the day, it's really about you and the wave. You might get in there with friends, but it's when the wave comes, you know, you set that friendship aside, you know, and you go, you do what needs to happen in order for you to catch that wave. Sometimes we think following God is like this. It's kind of, it's just me and Jesus out there on our own. We're kind of, we're doing our own thing. You know, yeah, there's others around, you know, there's kind of other Christians around kind of floating, drifting by, but it's really about me and Jesus and, you know, we're just doing our own thing. Well, in reality, when you read through the Bible about what it means to be a Christian, what you find is following God is a lot more like playing football than it is like surfing. Following God is actually more like a team sport than it is an individual sport. We follow God as we join in and partner with other Christians to accomplish the work that God has given us. And specifically, this takes place in the church. So kind of thinking of this idea of, okay, so we become Christians and we, we become part of a team that's aimed at accomplishing something. Today, we're going to kind of unroll that and look at, okay, so in that kind of train of thought, what do we do as individuals to play our part? And specifically, we've got seven action statements that we're going to look at. Seven statements that describe what we do to contribute to be part of the team and to help it move forward. These seven action statements, if you've been around Seabreeze for a while, you're familiar with these because we refer to these as the seven hard attitudes. And as I look at these seven action statements this morning, what I want to do is I want to break them really into two groups. There's one group, there's kind of the first four hard attitudes, and they describe how we interact with one another. How How do the individuals, how do they interact with one another, and how does their interaction build unity on the team? And then there's the second part of the hard attitudes, the final three, and they kind of talk about how do we relate to the organization or the church as a whole? How do we get involved and actually help the mission 
move forward. So I kind of want to break it into these two categories. What do we do to build unity, and then what do we do to help the mission move forward? And we're going to focus on these action statements. So as we talk about this, it's not just kind of a general, well, we need to love. Well, we now actually, we're going to have a statement so we can say, okay, well, this is specifically what that's going to look like if we're going to move forward. So we do our part. This is the first thing. We do our part as we build unity. As members of the team that God's made us a part of, we do our part as we build unity. Now, for any team to be successful, unity is a requirement. It's not the end game. Unity is kind of what lays the foundation for the team to fulfill its potential. And you know this if you've participated in a team at work or maybe even a sports team or you've been involved in a church or maybe even it's in your marriage. You know that unity doesn't just happen overnight. It's not automatic. It takes intentionality. It takes energy and planning and specific things need to be done in order for unity to be achieved. It's the same way when it comes to the church. So we've got these four action statements. The first action statement of building unity is to put the goals and interests of others above my own. We use this statement to describe this important attitude we choose if we're going to build unity. We put the goals and interests of others above my own. So what it says in Philippians chapter 2, a verse that describes this action, says this, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Selfish ambition. What's it talking about when it talks about selfish ambition? This is, this is really when an individual has, has a desire or something that they want to accomplish, something personal, and they put it above what the team is trying to do. I mean, imagine next Sunday, the Super Bowl is being played next Sunday. Imagine that one of the quarterbacks, we always talk about Tom Brady, so let's talk about Nick Foles for a second. Imagine if Nick Foles goes out there for the Eagles and he decides, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to set a record for touchdown passes thrown in the Super Bowl. That's what I'm going to do today. Well, that, that might be good if that's the team's plan, but if that doesn't go along with what the team's trying to accomplish, then his selfishness could get in the way of what the team's trying to do. It could be very costly to the team. Same thing happens in the church. What about this other thing that we're not supposed to do, vain conceit? What about that? That's really ego. That's where an individual comes to the conclusion that, you know what, I'm... I'm really more important than the people around me. I'm, I'm more significant. I'm more valuable. What happens on a team when an individual comes up with vain conceit and they conclude that, you know what, I'm, in, I'm more important. What I do, what I'm trying to accomplish, that's more valuable than everybody else around me. What does that do? What happens when that person doesn't get their way? When, when really a person that's driven by ego doesn't get their way on a team? They throw a fit. They complain. They create drama. Again, they, they, they can easily sidetrack the team and keep the team from moving forward because they've put themselves out front. So in a church context, what God wants us to do, really this works on any team, is to do this. It says this in the passage. It says, rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now this isn't saying that other people are more important than us or are more valuable, because the reality is, is from God's perspective, we're, we're all created equally. We all have equal value and equal worth. So it's not saying that another person is actually more important. This is describing a choice that we make, a decision to, in the moment, I'm going to set aside my agenda or my desires or what I'm trying to see happen. I'm going to set that aside, and I'm going to focus on this other person, and I'm going to put their interests above my interests. I'm going to consider what, what do they want to see happen? 
What's the income that they're aiming at? What are their desires? What are their wants? What are their needs? And I'm going to choose to put them above myself. That's what humility does. Humility, instead of focusing on self, humility chooses to turn the focus on the other person, asking the question, what's best for them? When the individuals on a team do this, when they put the goals and interests of others above their own, that builds unity, allows the team to start to get some traction, to build this foundation. It's going to set them up for success. The second action statement, it builds unity. Live an honest and open life. Live an honest and open life. This is an action that describes what, is, what it takes to build trust. And trust is essential. If we're, if we're going to be united, if we're going to come together and try to accomplish something, we have to be able to trust each other. In order for there to be unity, there has to be trust. Here's a verse on this, Ephesians 4.25. It says this. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. There's that idea again. We're not just kind of off on our own, doing our own thing. We're all members of one body. We're, we're connected. We're dependent upon one another. God has brought us into something much bigger than us and told us that we're supposed to be a part of it. We're all members of one body. What happens in your physical body if the different parts of your body start lying to each other? What's well, referred to as a neurological disease? The body stops functioning properly because what one part of the body says is going on can't be trusted by another. Those neurological connectors, they're not communicating. It's not working properly. The body breaks down. It's a tough thing to watch when this happens. But the same actually result can take place on a team and can take place in a church. When the individual parts put aside honesty and instead start lying to one another, start being deceptive or start not revealing everything that's going on, what, what happens is, is what bonds us together, that relationship, that trust that's required for unity, that starts to, to tear apart and be eroded, and that group can't function the way that it was intended to be. This is, this is why we have this statement at Seabreeze. This is why we say we want to live an honest and open life before others. The, the idea here is what we want to see happen is we want what's true of a person on the inside to be reflected on the outside. So the idea is, is we want to be able to trust what each other can say, and then when people have information, people need to be appropriate with what they say. That's kind of the whole idea of being open. You see, when I was growing up, I grew up uh, in Oklahoma, and church looks a little bit different there. You know, the dress is not so casual and relaxed. The church I grew up in, um, you wore a suit on Sunday when you showed up to church. There's nothing wrong with wearing a suit, but there was like this mentality of like, okay, you're going to church, you got to get it all together. You know, you got to kind of like put, the, put your best face on, put your best clothes on, and you'll put this appearance that you've got everything together. Actually, when I was growing up on a sports team I was a part of, there was a, there was a time where the gym we practiced at wasn't available, so they rented a gym from a church. And it wasn't a Christian sports team, and so we go, we go to practice at this church, and, you know, some of the guys on the team, you know, they start cussing, whatever, during the practice, and the coach is like, whoa, 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 we're at a church, guys, you can't say that. At the other gym, he didn't care, but we're at a church, you can't do that at a church, you're not supposed to do that. There's this idea of, like, you go to church, and you kind of put this facade on. It's almost like you kind of put this mask on, you just, we just act like, okay, we got it all together, we're good, you know, we're going to church today. Well, well, in order for us to have unity, we can't do that. You know, if we're struggling with something, we've got to be appropriately honest with people that can help us. 
you know, if we've got questions about something, we've got to ask those questions and go get help. To put this, like, this appearance of, I've got it all together, I've got it figured out, we're not going to be able to team together. We're not going to be able to build trust because what's true on the inside is not being reflected on the outside. So in order for us to unite, we've got to choose to live an honest and open life. The next action statement, the third action statement, it's going to build unity, is give and receive scriptural correction. Great verse on this is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. This is what it says. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See to it. That's the first thing it says. See to it. The idea is, is this is your responsibility. Us as a group, we, we need to see this happen. We need to see to it. See to what? That none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The reality there is what this passage is presenting is we all have hearts that are kind of in a natural state of decline. And so in one moment, me, myself included, I can make a commitment and say, okay, this is what God's word says. This is what I'm going to focus my life on. This is what I'm going to live for. And then in the very next moment, I have this very fickle heart where in the very next moment, I can turn and I can head off in another direction. So he's saying, hey, see to it that, that we've got these hearts that'll easily wander and easily get off the path. So you as a group have to come together and you guys got to help each other keep moving forward. And, and he gives us the tool to do that. And so what he says is he says, but encourage one another. That's, that's how we keep each other moving forward. Encourage one another. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean like we have a daily text message chain that goes around and it's like, you know, that, that could be helpful. You know, I mean, it's nice to get an encouraging text. But actually, the idea behind encouragement here actually it has a lot broader meaning. It actually says, it actually has the idea of to, uh, to motivate with words of truth. So when you are encouraging somebody, it's not just like, hey, good job, pat on the back. But it's using words of truth to move people forward. That means that sometimes, in order to get them moving forward towards the truth, you're going to have to steer them away from what they shouldn't be into. You're going to have to say, hey, watch out, there's a ditch over here. You're going to have to offer words of protection and correction and say, okay, we got to get back on the path, and this is what we're headed for. Now, in order for this to happen, in order for us to really see to it that none of us has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, one of the things that's required in that is proximity. We just got to know what's going on in each other's life. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to speak up and share. In football, there's some debate over what the most important position on the field is. If you play, you probably think your position is the most important position on the field, which is natural. But there's this debate, who's the most important player on the field? And a lot of people have come to the conclusion that it's the left tackle. Okay, so bear with me for a minute. I'm going to give you a little bit of like a little football lesson here. So in football, you've got the offensive line. They're the guys that protect the quarterback from getting tackled. See, if you're not a football fan, what I'm giving you right now is a conversation starter at the Super Bowl watch party next week. Okay, so this is why you want to pay attention. Okay, so you've got the offensive line in front of you. Okay, the quarterback receives the ball. He steps back. Usually, you know, most people are right-handed. So he steps back and he turns and there's all this space that he can't see right here. So the left tackle is the guy on the offensive line, on the left side of the offensive line, who protects the quarterback's back, his blind side, what he can't see. So he drops back. He can't see what's going on around him, behind him. If he gets hit from the back, it can cause severe injury. I mean, some guys, their entire careers are ruined 
because they get hit from the blind side. They get hit from something they don't see coming. The reality is, is just like in football, in life, we have stuff that we can't see. Even our self-perception, even what we think of ourselves, isn't always accurate. And the reality is, is we need people who are close enough to us that they can see what's going on around us, and they're bold enough to open their mouths, and they're, they're willing to say, hey, watch out, there's something going on. Hey, you need to keep moving forward in this area. I need a left tackle in my life. I need somebody who cares about me and is helping me out with what I can't see. And I need to be a left tackle for other people. I need to, to, to be seeing what's going on and protect them and steer them and, and keep them from getting hit by something that could completely devastate them. As we do this for one another, as we practice this action of giving and receiving correction, what we're doing is we're, we're building unity. We're looking out for each other. We're giving input. We're watching what each other can't see and helping each other stay on the path. Now, when I talk about this, I'm doing it in the context of we're trying to build unity. So when I say give and receive correction, this isn't just permission to just walk around and point out everything that we don't like. So that's not what this is about. This isn't about just going out and being like, no, that's wrong. You're not doing that right. No, that's annoying. Stop. It's annoying. Stop. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is this is really, this is for the benefit of other people. This isn't just about us. So there's two kind of helpful questions that, that we should ask ourselves if we're going to give input to somebody. The first question is, do I have their interest in mind? Now this, this again, this is the first action statement. This is the first hard attitude we have. Put the goals and interests of others above my own. So just considering, okay, am, am I doing this for them? And sometimes we give input because, well, that's not how we would do it. Well, so it must be wrong because that's not how I would do it. I mean, that's not how you're supposed to do it because I wouldn't do it that way. You know, sometimes we give input for that. Sometimes we give input because, you know what, it just, honestly, it just really annoys me. So we give input. That's not really in their best interest, though. So if we're going to open our mouth and share, if we're going to fulfill this role for other people and really benefit them in this way, we need to ask the question, is this really in their interest or is this, you know, about me in some way? Another question that's helpful to ask, is there trust? You know, when, when I share this with them, do they trust me? Are they going to receive this from me? You know, have I taken the work? Have I, have I lived an open, honest life before them and they really know who I am and so they know that I care about them? Is there trust? Are they going to receive this? Or they just reject this because they don't really know me? You know, asking these two questions. Hey, if, if, if you haven't done the work to really put their interests first and you haven't, you know, built trust, okay, well, then maybe that's where you start. Maybe you hold off on that input and you start with, okay, how can, I, how can I love this person? How can I benefit them? How can I build trust here? And then see if that puts you in a position. Because the reality, again, we're all part of a team. We're in this together. There's a very real chance that God has given us one thing to say to another person. There's a very real possibility that that's happened. God said, hey, I want you to speak in this person's life and share this. But we got to make sure that we're putting them first, we're putting their interests first, and that we're taking the time to develop trust, so we're not just walking around being critical. What happens when people are critical of each other? Does, un does unity come out of those environments? No. People divide. People separate. You, you want to get out of there. When you're hanging out with somebody that's just critical and nitpicky, you know, you, you go to the other, you know, end of the neighborhood. You want to get out of there. You don't want to hang out there. Same way in the church. If we're going to build this kind of unity-building environment, we've got to do this out of love. The fourth action statement is clear up relationships. When it comes to unity, peace is essential. But the problem is, 
because we are part of a team and we have to work together. And it would be easy to have peace if we could all just agree not to bother one another. But again, we're part of a team. I mean, when I go surfing, you know, it's easy to have peace with the other surfers if what? If they stay on their waves and stay off my waves, right? I mean, if, hey, if the wave comes to you, you can catch the wave, you ride that wave. If the wave comes to me, you know, this is my wave. Stay off my wave. It's easy to have peace in the water if surfers stab each other away. I mean, you know, in Northern California, it might be different, but down here, you know, when, if you're a surfer, you know this. When you walk up over kind of the, the sand bluff and you, you look out at the lineup, do you go where the crowd is? No. You don't want to go sit with 20 other guys waiting for like a few waves. You, you, you look and then you say, you know what, there's nobody over there. I, I think I'm going to go surf over there. I just don't want to deal with anybody else. Waves might not be as good. You know, sometimes we think of church like this. We think, oh, man, you know, i got to interact with other people. It would be easy to have peace if we didn't have to. But the reality is, you see, we're not surfing. We're part of a team. We've been given something to accomplish. We've been given a mission, and God wants us to work together. And the sad reality is, we've all experienced this in some way. The sad reality is, is it's only a matter of time before we bump into each other. And it's only a matter of time, whenever you join with other people and you work on something, it's only a matter of time before they, they say something or they do something that hurts you or that rubs you the wrong way, or vice versa. It's only a matter of time before you're the one that you say something or you do something that hurts them. It's going to happen. No, nobody's perfect. We don't do everything perfectly. And so it's in those situations where we run into each other or we step on each other's toes, it's in those situations where we've got to decide, okay, I'm going to clear up the relationship. I'm going to work for there to be peace in this situation so that we can unite, so that we can come together and accomplish something. Jesus talks about the importance of this in Matthew chapter 5. It's really an amazing teaching he gives. Matthew 5, starting in verse 23, he says this. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. This is amazing if you think about this kind of like in the time period in which Jesus is speaking. Going to the temple and offering your gift, this is a significant act of worship. This is not just, this isn't a quick thing. This isn't like, you know, you go to church for an hour on Sunday and then you go on with the rest of your day. I mean, some people, this would take them a long period of time to travel from where they lived to where the temple was at, to wait in line and then present their gift. This is a big deal. And what Jesus says is, he says, hey, I know it's a big deal. I know it's taken you a long time. I know that this is your act of worship to God. But he says to them, hey, if you realize that your brother or sister has something against you, I want you to leave the gift and go clear it up. He's identifying really a priority here. He's saying, actually, okay, you got worship to God. I want you to put above worship clearing up relationships and pursuing peace with other Christians. That's amazing. If you think about it, he says, leave the gift and go clear up the relationship. Thing is, what, what Jesus is pointing out is the importance of being able to partner with others and build unity. That is way too valuable to let anything get in the way of. So because Jesus wants us to build unity, he says, hey, you need to go and you need to clear up that relationship. So this is one of our action statements that builds unity. Now, these four actions, these describe how we relate to one another, to the individuals on the team. So now we're going to shift. So we've kind of talked about, okay, here's how we relate to one another. Now we're going to focus on, okay, so how do we relate to the organization? 
What do we do with the organization so that we can do our part and we can help move everything forward? Well, we do this. We do our part as we move the mission forward. This is what we focus on. With other people, we're asking the question, how can I build unity here? When it comes to the organization, when it comes to the church, we're asking the question, how can I move the mission forward? See, when it comes to unity, our interaction with one another, unity, again, it's not the end game. Unity is really the foundation that allows us to accomplish what we were intended to. It allows us to fulfill our potential. But unity in and of itself isn't the end game. There are teams out there that are united, but they don't accomplish anything. But as the church, we've been given a mission. There's something God wants us to move towards and something that he wants us to accomplish. So we create unity, but then we also have to be involved in moving the mission forward. The first action statement for this is participate in the work of the church. Participate in the work of the church. Now, there's a lot of opportunities to get involved and serve. Even in the announcements this morning, Joanna or whoever's up here doing announcements is frequently highlighting, hey, here you could serve in this area or you could serve in this area. But actually, when we talk about participate in the work of the church, we're not just limiting that to serving on teams. There are a whole lot of ways to participate in what the church is doing beyond just serving on teams. I mean, those are important. Those are needed. But there's a lot of ways to do that. The reality is, is if you're a Christian... God has, he has given you a gift that he wants you to turn and give in service to helping the church move forward. This is what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. It says this. It says, each of you, talking to Christians, each of you, every Christian, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So what's he saying? He's saying you've been given a gift, what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's gift. So really what he's saying is God has given you something that you're supposed to then turn and give. That means when we gather on a Sunday morning like this, yeah, there's people passing out programs. Yeah, there's people serving in kids. Yeah, there's people up on stage. But everybody that comes has something to give. It might be a conversation on the patio, words of encouragement that God wants you to have with somebody. You don't know that when you show up. But when you show up with intentionality, asking the question, how can I move the mission forward? Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe he wants you to connect with somebody you haven't connected with. Maybe he wants you to meet something new. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is serving on one of these teams. But I know that if, if you are a Christian, God has given you something that he wants you to then turn and give. Because of my role here at Seabreeze, you know, I'm the connection pastor, which nobody knows what that means. Like, what does that mean? I oversee serving teams in general. And um, so because of that, I, I know the numbers of you that serve on teams. And honestly, it's awesome. It is so encouraging to be a part of a church with so many people that are asking the question, what can I do to move the mission forward? How can I be intentional and get involved and devote my time and my energy to help this thing move. I mean, just on Sunday morning, this is amazing to me, just on Sunday mornings, to help pull Sunday mornings off, like over, you know, the course of like a month, there's, there's 400 people that volunteer in some way, whether that's through the week in preparation or serving on one of the various teams once or twice or more a month. That is amazing how many people are asking that question. I personally find it so encouraging and challenging personally. Like when I see other people serving, you know what that does to me? I want to do more. 
I, it challenges me to, hey, I, I want to step up. I want to take this more seriously. I want, I want to invest more time because, hey, they're being a part of something bigger than themselves. They're giving what God has given them. I want to do that too. That's the effect that it has. It moves the church forward when we participate in the work. The next action statement helps move the mission forward is support the church financially. This is really, if you think about how we participate, this is kind of the reverse side of the participate in the work is to contribute financially. It's kind of the same coin, but it's in that, that idea of, okay, so this is, this is how we contribute. We contribute with our time, and we contribute also with our money. The reality is the work of God always advances as people participate with their time and with their money. I mean, this morning over in the kids' building, you know, we've got everything from babies up through seniors in high school over there. If you have kids over there, you know, I, I've got kids over there right now. If you've got kids over there, they're, they're having a great time. They're playing, they're doing games, they're learning about God, they're connecting with new friends, they're building relationships with, with other kids, and they're having a great time over there in the kids' building. And actually, for some of you parents over here, it's a much-needed break to get over here without any kids, okay? But the reality is even you parents being over here, it's not just like you're getting free babysitting. No, they're over there, they're learning about God. You're over here, you're learning about God. The reason that's possible is because there are a lot of people who are giving of their time to serve over there. But then, at the same time people are giving their time and their energy, there's a lot of you that have given financially. I mean, the mortgage doesn't pay for itself. The lights don't just turn on when we show up on Sundays. They just, you know, the bulbs flicker and boom. I mean, we pay bills. We have supplies. We have, we have staff that we employ. And so the, the work, the ministry moves forward. People are benefited as the people of God not only take their time and contribute that, but also take their money and contribute that to the work that God's doing. A verse on this is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking in this. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, he says this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What he's, what he's pointing out here is we live in a temporal world. We're going to pass away, and what we have is going to pass away too. We can, we can amass great amounts of wealth, but sometimes it can be taken away quickly, but at the end of the day, it's all going to pass away. He's pointing this out, saying this is temporal. Then he says this. He says, instead of living for what's temporal and what will pass away, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. The mission of the church, the mission that we have, it's not a temporal mission. It's not just, okay, we've been successful when we get a certain number of people in the seats, or we've been successful when we fill people's time with positive activities. We've been given an eternal mission. Our mission is to shape and change as many lives as possible that will impact them for all of eternity. That's what we're after. We want to change people's eternities. When you take what's temporal that God has given you, your money, and you, you contribute it to what the church is doing. What you're doing is you're taking something that will pass away, and you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What an amazing opportunity. Take something that is temporary and turning it into something that is going to last forever. I can't think of anything else that has that kind of exchange rate. But that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, when we, when we take this stuff that's only going to last here and now, and we, we give it to the church, and we help move the mission forward, we're exchanging it. We're leveraging it for something that's going to last forever. So the mission of the church moves forward as the members of the team choose to contribute both time and money. 
The final action statement is this. This is what helps us move the mission forward, and we do our part as we do this. We follow leadership in the church within scriptural limits. Let me ask you a question. Next Sunday in the Super Bowl, you got the Patriots and you got the Eagles. What's the number one reason those two teams are in the Super Bowl next Sunday? Is it talent? Do they have the most talent of any team in the league? Is that why they're in the Super Bowl next Sunday? Well, they have a lot of talent, but it turns out other teams have more superstars, have more all-stars. So it's not talent. Is it, is it money? They're the, they pay their players the most. They have the highest payroll of any team in the league. So that's why they're in the Super Bowl? Well, no. Actually, the teams with the highest payroll didn't make the playoffs. So it's not money. It's not talent. So why are they in it? Well, actually, the number one reason, there's a lot of factors, but the number one reason is the players, the individual players, bought in to what the coaches were trying to accomplish. That's it. I mean, if you think about it, an offensive coach, his goal, you know, yeah, he's got these boundaries. He's got 100 yards to go. He's got some rules to work with. He's trying to put the ball in the end zone. It's pretty simple. There's a ton of ways to do that. There's a lot of options. But those players decided, okay, what this coach is trying to accomplish and how he's trying to accomplish, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy into that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in what he's trying to do, and I'm going to work towards that goal. I'm going to choose to get behind this. turns out buy-in can take a team a lot further than money or talent. It's actually the same thing when it comes to the church. Here's a verse on this, Hebrews 13, 17. Such an interesting verse. Such a... This is not, if this verse was written for an American mentality, I don't think it would be written this way. It says this, says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. What would the American mentality be? Be skeptical of your leaders. Don't do what they say. I mean, for me, like growing up, sports, what, what was the number one reason kids quit sports growing up? When I was in high school, I mean, there were kids, tons better athletes than me. But what was the number one reason that they quit the team? You know, Elliot, I just don't like soccer anymore. No, what do they say? I don't like the coach. Yeah. I mean, just, just growing up, moving forward, I mean, this has always been a thing. It's like the person who's in front of us. It's not love of the game. It's, you know, I just can't put up with the coach anymore. What does this say? It says, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority. That is so hard to do. I, I'm, I'm putting myself in that. That is so hard for me to do. It says this because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Accountable to God. They're, they're, they're watching out. They're, they're looking and seeing what's going on. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The reality is, is if the leadership of the church, if us as leaders, if we take the church in a direction that doesn't line up with what God has told us to do, it's simple. You don't follow. You don't follow leadership within the church outside of scriptural limits. If we take us in a direction outside of what God said, don't follow. And in this, I'm not saying that, hey, this is the perfect church and everybody has to get on, bo on board and get in line with Seabreeze and buy into what we're trying to accomplish. Hey, I'm not saying that. Hey, if this isn't the church for you, that's okay. We're not saying that. But there are so many similarities between football and the church. I mean, again, a, a, a coach... A coach is sitting there, and he has, he has a lot of options on how to play offense. There are so many different ways to play offense. Yeah, he's got the boundaries. Yeah, he's got the rules. Yeah, he's got the mission. It's really similar with church. We have boundaries. 
There's stuff we can and cannot do. There's rules. There's instructions. There's guidelines. There's a goal. There's a mission, something we're trying to accomplish. But you know what? There's a whole lot of freedom in how we do that. That means that what the leaders do is they determine, okay, so this is the mission. This is how we're going to choose to accomplish that. We're going to focus on this strategy. We're going to focus on this because this is what we think the church needs, and we think this will move us forward based on what God has said. And at the same time, then the leaders say, okay, so what are the specific ways that we could do that? What are the tactics? How could we move forward? And I'll tell you, just, just from being an athlete to working in business and even being a part of the church, the hardest thing is not, hey, are they moving towards the mission? One of the hardest things is, I don't really like that strategy. I don't really like that tactic. I wish we ran the ball more. I wish we didn't throw it as much. It's, it's not outside the rules. It's not against what God has said. It really comes down to a preference a lot of the time. So instead of buying in and choosing, you know what? They're in line. They're moving towards a goal. I'm going to throw myself into this because I realize that buy-in is going to take us farther than money and talent. So I'm going to get in this, and I'm going to move. Instead of doing that, we, I mean, I know. He throws it way too much. You know, he's past happy. I'm not going to get involved. And the church isn't able to move forward and accomplish what it could, the potential that it has. We've got to buy in, just like in sports. For the mission to move forward, the individuals do their part and move the mission forward. They follow the leadership in the church within scriptural limits. You know, next Sunday, it's the last Super Bowl reference I'm going to give. Uh, next Sunday... Patriots and the Eagles, somebody's going to lift the Lombardi trophy. There's only one trophy, okay? So one team will lift that trophy, and then the organization will take it home and put it in their trophy case. What, are the, what does everybody else get? Since not everybody can get a trophy. If you're on the winning team, what do you get if you don't, if you don't get to take the trophy home because there's only one trophy? You get a ring, yeah. You get these big, gaudy rings that you would never wear out in public. You get these rings. Check this out. There's 53 players on an NFL roster. There are 15 coaches, on average, on a coaching staff. That's 68 people. Okay, check this out. The NFL gives out a minimum of 150 rings to the winning team, more than double the number of players and coaches. And actually, a team can ask for more rings. They can get more than 150. Why is that? Because the NFL realizes it's not just the people that we see on TV that played an important part in winning that championship. They realize there are tons of people throughout the organization that we never see or never know about, and they all had an important part to play in bringing about that championship. It's actually really similar with the church. I mean, I think if we could see a Sunday morning from God's perspective, you know, from, from, from our perspective, we see it, and okay, like, yeah, you've got the serving teams, you know, which are maybe mid-level importance, but then you've got the speaker. That's kind of, that's a big deal. If you don't have the speaker, how can you have church without the speaker? And you've got the band, you know, that's essential. Those are, those are the key pieces. These other pieces, maybe not as important. Or what if you're just showing up? What if you don't have a role? You know, oh, well, then maybe, you know, you're, then you're really not. I mean, that's maybe how we look at it. I think really from God's perspective, I think he's looking down, and I don't think he's up there saying, you know what, that was a good day at church. Elliot did a great job on the message today. I actually think if he were to highlight what happens on a Sunday, I think he would be like, hey, did you, did you see that person out on the patio today? Do you see how they put their interests aside and they went and helped somebody out with something that they needed? Do you see how they, 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 they chose to be humble and to focus on what somebody else needed? That was a highlight of what happened today out there on the patio. Or I think he would say, hey, do you see what happened out there on the courtyard? There were two people and 
They had gotten into a disagreement and there had been conflict in the relationship, but they went up to one another and they asked for forgiveness and they cleared up that relationship. That was a highlight of what happened today. I think if we could see it from God's perspective, he would be up there and he would be, he would be pointing out these things that we don't even observe. But what he's pointing out is he's saying, hey, that, that is an individual member of the team doing their part, building unity, moving the mission forward. That's a highlight. And just like in football, I mean, we, 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 just, we see the people on TV, but the people who are in it, they realize, oh, there was so much more that went into it. Same thing with the church. That means you have a part to play. There's, there's something you can do to move this thing forward. God's given you something to give. God, there's a way that God wants you to operate and interact. So build unity. Focus on that. Move the mission forward. Make that a priority. Make that a question. If I'm, I'm coming to an event, how can I move the mission forward? As we do that, we become the kind of team that God wants us to be. I've got a couple next steps for you this morning as I wrap up. The first one is to choose one of these actions that builds unity and then put that into practice. I mean, just like an, an athlete identifies something that they need to to work on or grow in, they, they take that and then they put that into practice. Same thing, as we, as we take these actions and we do them over and over again, we get better. So choose one of the ones that builds unity and then choose one of the ones that mo- moves the mission forward. If there's one of those where you're like, you know what, I, I really need to grow in that area. Then choose one and move that mission forward. And the final thing is uh, inside of your program today, there is uh, this heart attitudes magnet. If you've been around for a while. We did this um, a few years ago. And so kind of as this, we're doing a part of this 30-year anniversary, we thought we'd kind of bring some stuff back. And so we, we wanted you to have this. This is a summary of those seven action statements, the seven hard attitudes. Help us build unity and help move the mission forward. So throw this on your fridge or um, in a, a file cabinet, something at home somewhere where you'll see it and remember these. So if you'll join me, I'll go ahead and wrap us up in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, allowing us to come and be a part of a church like this. I, I actually thank you for the for all the people that have come before us and laid the foundation that even give us the opportunity to join in and do this here. And so, God, I pray that as we really stand on the 30 years of work that's gone in to get us to this moment, and as we look to the future, God, I pray that individually we would decide that we're going to do our part, that individually we're going we're gonna to ask the question, what can I do to build unity here? How can, I, how can I connect and engage and love and build trust and allow there to be peace? And then, God, I pray individually we would ask the question, what do I need to do to move the mission forward? How can I give my time? What are the, what's the, what are the resources? How can I contribute? What, who's the leader over me? How can I make them successful? God, I pray that we would ask these questions. I pray that you would use that to allow us to be the kind of church that you intend for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.